Okay, if you have Bibles, you can open them to Romans chapter 6. We are in the middle of a sermon series titled The Good Fight and getting ready to enter the, the really two most difficult weeks of this particular study. I told my family yesterday that I was really nervous about preaching this morning. And nervous not in the sense of uh, what you might think, but let me tell you exactly what I told them. <clears throat> I told them that I felt like I was going to be trying to teach college chemistry to a bunch of second graders. And don't let that make you angry. I'm not saying you're all a bunch of second graders. The reality, though, is that what I'm about to teach is some of the deepest stuff in the Scripture. And it's difficult to teach. It took me eight years as a Christian to comprehend the truth that I'm going to try to teach in two back-to-back -back messages. And there's a part of me that's concerned that I will be misunderstood or not understood. And yet, what I'm going to share with you is the single most important thing that I have ever learned as a Christian. It is necessary to ever really embark on true spiritual success and maturity and have success on the battlefield. It's necessary to get this. Otherwise, you'll live forever in shame. And so what I'm dealing with the next couple of weeks is the war of the flesh and the spirit. I remember getting saved, and it was like I was just on fire for God. And then came the awakening that there was a part of me that still wanted to do evil. And it was really, really confusing. Why would I feel this way? Why do I still think this way sometimes? And what was worst about it was it wasn't even like anything had to be happening. I mean, I could have a great week. Things are going good. And then it's Thursday at 2 o'clock, and one of my coworkers just says something he shouldn't say, and like that. All of a sudden, I'm having feelings I shouldn't feel. I'm thinking things I shouldn't think. And granted, I had enough discipline to keep my mouth shut. But I was conscious of the fact that old Joplin was thinking it. And it bothered me that it was still there in my heart. And then I began thinking, well, God can't use somebody like me. There's no way God could use someone thinks these types of things. I, would de I, I lived in shame. And so my, I had a, I, here was my method. I thought, well, I guess you didn't pray hard enough, Joplin. So I would pray more. I guess you didn't fast enough, Joplin, so then I would fast more. Maybe I didn't really mean it when I went to the altar and asked God to take it away from me. And I was terrified to tell anybody about it because I was convinced that none of you all, the people in my life, I was convinced that nobody else had the same problem. I thought, well, if I tell my pastor or I tell my brothers what I'm really thinking, I mean, if I just let it out and tell them what's really going on in here, they're going to think I'm not even saved. And so I spent years trying to battle it myself, 
living in shame, feeling like God was disappointed in me. I was disappointed in me. I was ashamed of myself. I was ashamed that no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't rid myself of the old nature. And so the question at hand today, brothers and sisters, is how do we overcome the old nature? How do we live in victory over sin? That is what we're going to set out to answer this week and next. We're going to open with two verses in Romans 6, verses 6 and 7 this morning. Would you stand to your feet as we honor the reading of the Word of God? Romans 6, beginning in verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. In the last few words of verse 7, it speaks of the one who has been set free from sin. When you look at the first five chapters of Romans, it deals with our sins, plural. Those are the things that we have done. And we dealt with how God deals with what we've done our sins, last message in this series. When we get to Romans chapter 6, the terminology changes. The word sins, plural, things we have done, is absent. And now we have this idea of sin, singular, in us. It is a creature, a nature. In a word, the Bible calls it the flesh. Sin dwelling in our flesh. It is the old man. And it says here that we can be set free from sin, that old nature. The question is how? You know, for me, when I very first started really grappling with these things and trying to understand what was going on, one of the great struggles in my life was is that when I read Romans chapter 6, it says that it's already happened. Our old self was crucified. That the one who has died has been set free from sin. And I would look at my life and I would be like, well, I'm not free from the sin in my life. Yeah, I wasn't doing all the huge things that I was doing that were clearly openly wrong and crime and sin, but I, I knew me and I knew the thoughts that were still there. I knew the pull that was still there. I knew that my flesh nature was tempting me to sin. And so I would look at a passage like this and I would say, well, what... What is going on? Like, I know that I'm saved, but this makes me wonder if I am. Because apparently, if you're saved, the old man has died. And when Joplin looks right inside here, I see that the old man is very much alive. It was very confusing for me. 
And my guess is that most of you that resonates with. That has been your experience. So the question then is, how do we overcome sin? This is such an important piece of the, the, the spiritual warfare because if you don't learn how to overcome sin, you will never feel confident presenting yourself to God to be used. You will, those of you that have been doing your homework and you read Romans chapter 6 and 7 several times last week, you'll know that in Romans chapter 6, it talks about, you know, don't present yourself to the old nature to be used, but instead present yourself to God to be used by him. You will never present yourself to God to be used as long as you live in shame. I mean, if you feel like you're dirty, you're displeasing to God, you're, you are still in your old nature and in your old ways, you will never get to the place of truly, sincerely saying, God, use me. You might come to the church and say, hey, you know, you need any help sweeping or, you know, cleaning or building or whatever. But when it comes to truly feeling like I present myself to God, God, here I am, use me to further your kingdom. You'll never get there if you don't learn how to overcome sin, the old nature. So how do we do that? Last week we saw that Jesus deals with our sins through the blood. But how does God deal with our old nature? Now, while we are going to set out to answer that question this week and next, I got two more notes that I want to share before getting to my points. Note number one, this battle between the flesh and the spirit is difficult to define. I told you that's why I'm nervous about teaching it. It's hard to explain. But not only do I feel that way, I want you to notice these two passages in the Bible. First of all, one of them is in our text, Romans chapter 6, verse 19. Here's what Paul said, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Paul said, I'm trying to speak about something deeply spiritual here, but I have to use natural terms because of your natural limitations. This is a hard thing to explain. And then look what Peter said about Paul. We'll find it in 2 Peter 3, verses 14 through 17. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. Pay very close attention to the next statement. There are some things in them, Paul's writings, that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, 
take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. That's a solid warning. Here's what Peter said about it. Some of what Paul says that we're about ready to address here is hard to understand, and lawless people twist it to their own destruction. I don't like teaching anything people can twist. I like to stay away from it. It is not possible to teach what I'm going to teach over the next two weeks without people twisting it. I hate that. Notice that those who twist it are those who live in lawlessness. Gives us a clue. It tells us that you can look at this from a certain angle and say, oh, well, if that's how it works, you mean I don't have to change? No, that's not what I mean. That's not what Paul said. Quit twisting it to your own destruction. Oh, well, if that's how it works, you mean I can continue to sin? Nope. Paul actually two times in Romans 6 and 7, two times in the text that we are studying, twice he says, so what then? Should we just go on and sin? He understands that what's about to be taught can be twisted by lawless people to their own destruction who are going to say, well, if that's the way it works, I believe in Jesus, so this is my sin, what's yours? Here's what I want you to see. That if what I'm about to teach leads you to more instability in your life, you have missed it, you have twisted the word of God, and you have done so to your own destruction. These things are difficult. They're hard to explain. You need to be praying for God to give you understanding of it. That's note number one. Note number two is you can only press an analogy so far. We're going to look at analogies. Paul's using earthly analogies. He's using natural analogies. And this is just one of the lessons of Scripture. You can only press an analogy so far. And what we need to do is take all of the analogies that Paul uses and figure out what is the one theme that he's trying to communicate through each of these analogies. And so you can only push an analogy so far. Remember that as we begin to look at these. So this morning, we're going to look at three analogies that teach us the way to victory over the flesh. Because we are in all of Romans chapter 6 and 7, I, I just can't read the entire chapters this morning. I don't have time to do that. And so uh, I'm going to reference the verses where these analogies start. The first analogy of how we have victory over the flesh is the analogy of a widow with a dead husband. We find this in Romans 7, verses 1 through 3. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if your husband dies, she is free from that law, 
And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. This is the first analogy I want us to look at where the Holy Spirit, through Paul, is trying to teach us what victory over the old nature looks like. A widow of a dead husband. Now, what you're going to see with all of these analogies this morning is that they are analogies of relationships. Relationships specifically that are not binding anymore. That is the first one here. He says, you know, and he's speaking to a bunch of Jews who understand Old Testament law, so he's kind of appealing to them. And he says, you know the law. You know that the law teaches that once a husband dies, the woman's free to remarry. In essence, the same is true concerning you, your new nature. You are no longer married or bound to your old nature. And you need to see your relationship with your old self in that context. Now, next week, I will be devoting the entire week to this confusing question of how was the old man dead? But I want you to just for now, I just want you for now to note, can we all agree the Bible says the old man is dead? Okay, that's what it says. Why doesn't it seem that way? We're getting there. But for now, we just have to, let's just start with the facts. God says the old man's dead. Paul starts with that in Romans 6. And as I've told you, you can only push an analogy so far. He sticks with the theme of the dead man by referencing the dead husband. But I want to submit something to you that might help kind of understand this battle between the flesh and the spirit maybe a little better. There are more than one reason. There are a handful of reasons in the Bible itself that justify divorce. Not just the husband finally died. Paul gives some of them in 1 Corinthians between a believer and an unbeliever. Jesus gives uh, some reasons for divorce. I don't plan on getting into those this morning. I just want to make the point there are other reasons for legitimate divorce where a woman is free to marry. And when we consider this relationship between the flesh and the spirit, it might make more sense to you if I explain it like this. It's like a widow who is justly divorced, rightly married to another in the eyes of God, yet her ex-husband is a psycho who denies the fact that they are over. And so he still wants to show up. He still wants to show up at your door and try to give you instructions and try to convince you you still owe him something and you, I still have a, you and I are still tied together and he is in absolute denial that this relationship is over. This is the way it is with the old nature. And Paul says one of the ways that you need to see the old nature is as if it is someone you were once married to, but you're not married to him anymore. Therefore, I don't have responsibility to you anymore. 
when the old nature tries to show up and say to the child of God, you're still this, you still desire these things, tries to entice you to sin, my response now to the old nature is, we are not connected anymore, you do not own me anymore, you are, I'm not married to you anymore, and not only am I not married to you anymore, I am married to another. I don't answer to the old nature I answer to God Almighty. He has given me a new nature through rebirth of the Holy Spirit, and I now desire the things of God, and it is that relationship that I will focus on. Note, the next analogy is also an analogy of a relationship, and that is that of, number two, the slave with a new master. Romans chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one to who you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, there is this idea of this past tense, final thing, it's already happened, you've been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as righteousness leading to sanctification. The next analogy is of a slave who has a new master. Paul says, and I quote elsewhere in Romans uh, 7, he says, sin has no dominion over you. Now that word sin, right? It's a word that represents the flesh nature the evil old part of me, the, the man that was born in Adam, not in Christ, that, that, that desires to sin against God, the nature of sin, the old man, the flesh nature, Paul says he no longer has dominion over you. Now here's what that means. He once did. He was my only master. And you know, even the sinner who is honest with himself can testify that at times your conscience was pricked. You knew that your fleshly desires were taking you too far. You knew it, even as a sinner. And your conscience was pricked, and there was a part of you that thought, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm changing my life. And you take three steps, and it's like you're chained to your master, and you find out, I'm not getting very far. You might fight for a while. You might put all these things around yourself to try to keep you from making the same bad decisions, but the real problem is that you are a slave to a master called the flesh. And no matter where you go, he's there. You can lock yourself in a prison cell, you can put yourself around a hundred other guys in a support group. You can do, do whatever you want to do. 
You can fly around the world and try to escape all the influences that once ruined your life. Guess what? The flesh is flying with you. And you're going to get over there and you're going to find out the real problem wasn't so-and-so and so-and-so and and this and the lack of that and the lack of this and my mom changed my diaper wrong and I didn't grow up this way and -and so-and-so hasn't given me enough money and I need this and I... No, the real reason that you sin is because of sin in you. It's the flesh nature in you. And you are a slave to it. God says, you want to overcome the sin nature? You have got to see this relationship as one that has been completely abandoned and you are no longer a slave to it. You have a new master. Now, I want you to think about something for a moment. As I've already acknowledged, you can only press an analogy so far. And I might be pressing this next one a wee bit far. But now that I've acknowledged that, I'm going to do it. I want you to imagine a scenario where you are a slave to a master who is brutal and evil and vile and wants to do nothing but to still kill and destroy your life. I want you to just imagine that's the case. And then I want you to imagine that that you are set free from that master, but not because somebody paid good money for you. In fact, your old master didn't get a dime. He wasn't paid anything. Instead, somebody came in and rescued you, literally just rescued you from his clutches and said, you got no more authority here. He's mine. She's mine. He's mine. Now, here's what I want you to think of from the perspective of the master that lost the slave. What do you think the master is going to do? Oh, Good for you. Man, you needed that in a long time. Good luck to you with your new life. No, this is an evil master who refuses to give up. Who instead is going to follow you everywhere you go. Wait for the right opportunity to try to convince you it was better on his side. Try to whisper in your ear when no one else has listened, come back over here. Sometimes it's soft and sometimes it's forceful. If you're anything like me, there's been times you've heard this forceful voice, oh, you're not really saved. You don't really belong to God. You're just trying to convince yourself that. You know better. I know better. So quit pretending you're a Christian. Why do you put yourself through all the the rules and the regulations and all the, and then he starts twisting the word of God and trying to make God sound like a bad master? And he says, come back. This is what it's like with the flesh and the spirit. When you really get saved, you will find that that old master that once used to rule you, he refuses to accept the truth that he's no longer boss. You have to learn how to speak back to your own flesh, brothers and sisters. I'm getting a little ahead of myself because Paul goes here next week. But Paul ends up eventually getting to the place in his maturity level where he sees himself so much in Christ and who God says he is that he doesn't even see his old flesh nature as him anymore. He's like, really, it's not even me. It's sin. It's not I that do it. It's sin. In other words, the flesh nature is not who I am anymore. 
Now, I get it. He follows me around. But I've got to learn to see this thing God's way. I don't want to detour too far this morning, but I want to stay on this line of thought that we have to get our thinking straight and see the battle of the flesh and the spirit the way God sees it. We have to do it his way. If you think that the goal is to remove the flesh nature, you'll live in shame all of your life. You will pray and fast yourself to death and find out that it wasn't removed. God didn't tell you to remove it. He just told you to ignore it. Quit listening to it. See it as dead to you. Treat it the same way you would some psychotic ex-husband. We're not talking anymore. We're done. Treat it the same way you would a master, a, a, a terrible master you were once a slave to that you've been rescued from. You don't own me anymore. You don't call the shots. I don't live for you. I don't answer to you. And when you try to come and get, you know, tempt me to sin, tempt me to do the wrong thing, I'm going to recognize you for who you are. You're not me anymore. And you don't own me anymore. Paul said, this is one other analogy that I kind of want to push here. Paul said that we have to take our thoughts captive. He's dealing with the same concept of this internal war within between the flesh and the spirit when he's talking to the church in Corinth and he tells the church in Corinth, take your thoughts captive. Now, follow the analogy. When you take an enemy combatant captive, you don't just like open up the door and see if they're interested in becoming a slave. You're going to have to get forceful. You're going to have to recognize it for what it is. Number one, it's an enemy. It's not me. It's not who I, that, that is not me. I do not desire those things anymore. That is the old nature. That is not me anymore. And I recognize it as an enemy that wants to cause me to sin. And so I'm going to take those thoughts. I'm going to take that voice, if you will, and I'm going to put it captive. I'm going to go after it. I'm going to put my hands on it. And I'm going to put it in jail where you belong. I am not this person anymore. I will not do these things anymore. And I'm going to lock the door. Here's what you're going to find about an enemy that's been put in a jail cell. Most of the time, he'll be quiet when everyone else is around. Pretty dormant. But it's when it's just him and just the captor, nobody else around, and it's silent, that he starts to speak up. Come on, let me out of this place. Come on, let me out. You'll find that for most of you right now, that old nature, pretty dormant. He's taking a nap because he's not going to get very far in this sermon. But once you get away from here and you get to the place of temptation and you get to your own quiet place, once it's just you, just you and your cell phone, just you and that person at work you've been flirting with and you know it. Seems harmless. There's something going on in your heart, and you know it. Just you 
and that place of weakness, and you're not surrounded by everybody, and the preacher's not preaching, it's there that the old man in the jail cell starts shaking. Now, I'm talking to you about the path to spiritual victory over the sin nature. If you don't know that's the way it works, you'll just let him out every time. And then you'll pray, God, make that guy go away. God said, no, that's not how it works. I've already told you how it works. You didn't care enough to learn, and you don't care enough to be obedient to the way. You don't care enough to take your thoughts captive. You're the one that refuses to see him as a, you know, a, the ex-dead husband or the, the ex-old master. I've told you the way. It doesn't work. And trust me, I did it. I spent six or seven years asking God, take him away, take him away, take him away, take him away, take him away. God, get rid of the old nature. God, make him go away. It doesn't work because it's not God's way. You can, ask, you, can, you can spend the rest of your life praying. It's just a waste of your time on this, on this area, brothers and sisters. And here's why. We're going to see this next week when we deal with death. But this, the, the flesh is so terrible. It is so worthless and vile. It's the one part of who you are. God said, I'm not redeeming it. You get a new heart, I'll make your heart white as snow. You get a new spirit, I'll bring your spirit to life. But the flesh nature is good for nothing but death. It's the only part of you that is not going to heaven. You get a new body. Thank God for that. When, when, we, when we see God's estimation of the flesh and just how nasty it is to God, it'll change the way you see it. You'll quit pandering to it and trying to somehow put lipstick on a pig, and you'll realize what it is. This is an evil, nasty part of life, and I've got to see it in the eyes of God. It's no longer me. I'm not married to it anymore. It's not my master anymore, but I have to be conscious to take my thoughts, to take my old nature and put it in the prison cell where it belongs. And when it tries to shake the bars and tell me to let it out, I've got to remind myself the answer is no. You are not boss of me anymore. I don't listen to you anymore. I don't owe you anything anymore. And I will guard my heart and my mind and I will live the life that God's called me to live because he's who I'm married to. He's my master. He is is the one I'm faithful to. These are relationships. You have to see this victory over the old man in the context of relationship. And that brings me to my third and final point this morning. We see the man with two natures. And as I've already clearly communicated, it's all about how you have a relationship with them. One, you basically need to have the same relationship with it that you would with a dead man. None. We're not talking. The other, my relationship with my new nature, my relationship with God, the one that I need to be listening to. But look, look at this dual nature in Romans 7, verses 21 through 23. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. All right, so I'm going to kind of try to wrap this up here this morning in, in what I hope are some kind of simple ways to process all of this. Clearly, the Bible teaches that the Christian has two natures. 
One of them's dead and one of them's alive. And like I said, next week we will deal with how is it possible that the old man is dead? We're getting there. But there's two natures. The old man, the new man. The dead man, the living man. The flesh, the spirit. These are all different ways to frame the Christian life that we read of in the scripture. So a true Christian has a dual nature. Now let me tell you why that's so important. It's so important because when you get it and when you see it, you'll realize the dual nature in and of itself is the proof that you're saved. I used to think it it made me wonder if I was saved at all. Like, why would I still feel this way at times? But the fact that I had a new nature that despised my old nature was proof that I was saved. You know, it, it is. It's like a horrifying experience when you've, when you're truly saved, and then you come to find out that the old nature still tries to take back over. And I don't know for you guys, but I'll tell you my personal experience. When I was saved, I went through like six weeks where I just wasn't even conscious the old nature existed anymore. I just was like, I'll never want to sin again. All I want to do is love God. All I want to do is please God. All that I want to do is just what's holy and what's righteous. It's like my heart was on fire for God. And then, six weeks later, I found myself tempted to do something. I'm not going to tell you what it was, but I will tell you I gave in to it. And I sinned against God. And then I begin to wonder, like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, maybe I'm not saved. Why would I do that? I know that was wrong. I knew it was wrong when I did it. I gave in to the temptation. Why? What's wrong with me? And while this doesn't sound very glorious, it is true that the following day, I spent most of the day crying in shame. And as a new Christian who knew very little about the Word of God, I sat there crying in shame, wondering if I was really saved. I look back on it now, and you know what I can see? The very fact I was crying about it is proof I was saved. I mean, I just did an act that I had did hundreds of times before and not given two cents about. But now, I'm going to cry about it all day long? You want to know why? I was a changed man. I just didn't know I had a dual nature. I didn't know how to fight the fight that I'm talking to you about now. I wasn't prepared for the temptation when it came in my face. And in confusion and selfishness and in the control of the flesh, I made the decision to sin against God and then I was broken over it. So I I want you right now at this stage, if you're a Christian and you're battling with that dual nature and you're living in shame, there's at least one thing that I really hope that you get settled this morning that can give you a little bit of peace At the very least, if you are in this battle, at least know you're saved. That should give you some peace. And so let's keep advancing the conversation of, okay, so now that we've settled that you're saved, how do you overcome sin? How do I get to that place where I can say with confidence the old man is dead? I am free from sin, the nature You know, we all know that we have an evil nature. All of us do. We all know that we've got a flesh nature. The question is, though, how do you know if you have a new one? How do you know? 
Now, I do believe truly that in most cases, if you're really saved, like you don't need anybody to tell you, you know. Look what Romans 8.16 says. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I can't explain it, but even during those times when I was confused, like, am I really saved? The Spirit of God's bearing witness to me, like, yes, dude, you're saved. Like, well, why do I live this way then? Why do I think these things? Trying to grapple with all that, but the Spirit was still bearing witness with me that I know that I'm saved. But what are some of the indicators of a true new nature? Number one, you have new desires. You really will have new desires. You will have a sincere desire to please God. You'll want to you'll know God. You'll want to know the Word of God. You'll, 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 you'll have an honest interest, like a driving hunger to know more. If you don't have that, there's a chance you might not actually be saved. You might not have a new nature. A new nature comes with new desires to want to do what pleases God. You will find a real love for God. Like the type of love that forces relationship. Not just a passing love, but an honest love for God. And there are a lot of people, if they're honest, they'll say they've been in church their whole life. But to truly say they love God like they love their family, like they love their kids, like they love their husband or their wife, they're like, no, I don't even know what that's about. That sounds weird to me. I'm not being judgy, and I'm not saying you're not saved, but I will tell you that's an indicator you might not actually have a new nature. Maybe you need to be born again because one of the indicators of a new nature is somebody that loves God. Next, a brokenness for sin. When you do sin, there's a, when you truly have a new nature and you sin against God, there's, your new nature is just broken. Like, why did you do that, you fool? That's why I wept all the next day. It's because I had a new nature. I was broken over sin. I didn't like sin. I didn't make excuses for sin. It's more than some base desire to avoid hell. It's a desire to advance God's kingdom, to advance God's name. And I will put it this way, finally, it's a desire to please God, not simply appease God. If you're not real familiar with that word appease, what it means is to pacify. Like, really, what is the least I have to do to go to heaven? Does anybody know? Can any of you at least answer that question for me? What is the absolute least I have to do so that God is pacified and he lets me go on and make it to heaven? If that's your thought, the reality is you're probably not saved. If the question is, what do I have to do to appease God? That's very fleshly. A new nature will desire to please God, not just pacify him. But you'll find if you're truly saved, you want to make God happy. You want to make God smile. You want God to look at your life and be pleased with you. The same way a son or daughter does her own parents. And that's why we're broken over sin when we do it. Because we know God doesn't want us to sin. These are indicators of a new nature. Overcoming the flesh does not mean necessarily that it doesn't exist, 
but rather that it's dead to me. Our relationship's over. You are not the boss. We are not married. You are not my master. And, I, and instead of me listening to you, I'm going to take you. I'm going to put you captive. I'm going to put you in prison where you belong, and I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to ask our worship team to get in place, and I'm going to close with um, what I want you to do this week. So there have been a lot of you that have been doing homework this week. And you've been reading Romans 6 and Romans 7, and I've had a lot of you that are talking to me about it, and I'm really pumped to hear the response from the people. So I've got homework this week. I want you to read verses 1 through 14 of Romans 6 over and over and over again. That's all that we're going to be in next week, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. Read it over and over and over again. But here's the homework. I want you to do something for me. I want you to take inventory this week. I don't, if you're a journaler, then journal. If you're able to just do it in your mind, that's fine too. But I want you to do something this week. I want you to be conscious of this question. Is my old man dead? I want you to think about that question. It's the only question I want you to ask over and over and over and over again this week. Is my old man dead? And what I want you to do is look for indicators that answer one way or the other. If your answer is yes, my old man is dead, then be able to say because of this event and this event. I mean, why do you say your old man is dead? And if your answer is my old man is not dead at all, well, why do you say that? What is the proof? What is the proof that you are not free from the sin nature? I'm going to tell you something. It's going to be an exhausting week for those of you that care enough to walk with me through this. And I'm going to give you a heads up so that you don't get discouraged and decide, well, I'm not coming back next week. Just remember, old pastor told us, it's going to be an exhausting week and what you're going to find, what you're really going to find, most of you, you're going, to, you're going to say, I took inventory, Pastor. I asked myself every day, is the old man dead? And the more that I looked, the more convinced I became, the answer is no. It's okay if you come to that conclusion. That's what I did. Over and over and over again. And I'd argue with God. Trust me, I'd argue with God about it. I got my old man's not dead. He's like, well, I said that he is right here. I'm like, well, I know what you said, but apparently I'm not there. I'm, I'm not in Romans 6. This applies to other people because the old man's not dead in me. How do I make it happen? How do I kill him? Well, that's confusing because he's already dead. I just need you to do this. I'm trying to help people that want to learn the path. Trust me. I need you to take inventory for one week. I did it for months and it killed me. You're only going to have to do it for a week. But I need you to personally and individually come to the conclusion that when you look the way that you will in the week to come and where you look to see if the old man is dead, you come to the conclusion, no, he's not. I need you to get there personally. I want you to practice it just one week. That's all I'm going to ask. Take inventory. Is your old man dead or not? And then next week, 
I'm going to share with you what absolutely changed my life in understanding how God answers this question for us.